0: And I'm saying, if you follow Jesus, it can look like he's taking you right or left. If that's the worldview you're trapped in, but it's a matrix and you've got to transcend the matrix by following Christ. And that means befriending people, love of enemies until they're not your enemies, until they are your neighbors, until they are your brothers and sisters. And in that way, we understand that the best of political theology is opposition to polarization. It's about hold, having the maturity to hold difference in tension with the other.
1: Storm-tossed, afflicted one Ashamed of what you done Happy Monday everybody! How are you doing? I'm Seth. I'm excited that you're here and I'm just excited today. I'm happy. in a good mood and I hope that comes through at least in this intro. I don't remember if I was in a good mood uh, when I talked with the guest today but we'll get there in a minute. I just want to warn you so today uh, we're going to talk about two controversial things Uh, politics, theology, and so uh, religion. So theology and religion we'll just use those interchangeable here so fair warning Brad Jersak, who's the guest today he And he says some things that really speak to the heart of, I think, the crux of the way that so many of us act, talk, and treat each other when it comes to politics. And I like the way that he redefines what it is to have a political theology and how those two words interplay together. But I don't want to give that away. And so before you start, hit pause, rate and review the show on iTunes, because I, I, I think that matters. I don't know why, but I know that it wouldn't be an option to do so if it didn't have some purpose and some intent in the way that the internet does things. And so if you drop me a line, let me know how that is going, what you think of the show, what I could do better. I mean, just rate and review it, be honest. Uh, Also shoot those to me as an email. You'll find that contact page at the website for Can I Say This at Church. Another month is halfway gone at recording this. It's literally July 15th and another uptick in patron support. And so thank you, every single one of you, there is not adequate words, at least not that I've found a way to do a thank you via podcast outside of without you, every single one of you, this show would not be a thing in any way, shape or form. And it is a privilege. It's a privilege to do this with you all. I'm, I know I'm growing. And if any of these shows impact you at all, speak to you at all, if you, if you listen to it, you're like, you know, I should share this with person A or person B consider becoming a a supporter of the show at any capacity, any level. You'll notice, so I've added a few tiers. So there are two different tiers that if if, if you've been on the fence about, you know what I really want? Seth made these shirts and I've seen pictures of them and they look kind of cool. The shirts, the mugs, a few of those other things. If you want those, you can get it cheaper as a patron supporter. I mean, literally, if you just popped in for a month and then popped back out, I mean, why would you do that? But if you wanted to, that's there. So go in. I'm always tweaking things. I've got some ideas of some more things to do there and so hopefully one of those will actually go up tonight and so for those of you listening that'll be a couple weeks ago enough of the announcements enough of the updates thank you everyone and here we go hey man this is a good conversation with brad Jersak. Jersack. It's been a year and it's over a year. I don't remember when, but welcome back to the show, Brad.
0: Thanks for having me back. I can't believe it's been over a year. In fact, I have no clue what we even talked about last time. A lot of water's gone under the bridge. Uh, hey?
1: So, well, I get so you're the episode with you still consistently is probably one of the most downloaded. So there's you and then two or three on hell. And a couple other on some others that just consistently every month, you know, after that first couple weeks bump, continues to creep back up month over month over month. So we talked about the atonement. Uh, we made uh, You made a Men in Black reference about Tommy Lee Jones and sin and death. Very good. We talked about Christus Victor, and I believe you were trying to convince me of some form of that. And I was like, well, go for it. Uh, but at the beginning of that one, you had said, you know, in your little lead up of tell me about you. And so we won't do that again, um, because people can go back to episode 21 or two or zero, 20, zero, something. You had said that some of your training is in political theology. And so you started to talk about that a bit. And I wanted to do that, but I wasn't prepared for it. But And I said this then, and I'll say it again now. And I know that I said it then because I listened to it again today. Those two words don't make any sense to me. Like, okay, combined, like political theology, like both of those words are very, very, very charged. And so when you say, you know, I I have training in political theology, what does that even mean?
0: Yeah, good question. So you're really asking me, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, let's, let's break down the phrase. And so I really agree with you that those words are charged. And so when we talk about words like politics and theology, um, they're loaded with backstory and accretions and lots of ugliness too. And especially, especially in America right now where politics, if you're a Christian, I wish it were a bad word, a a dirty word because uh, Christianity has so bedded itself with partisan politics and And policies so what do I mean by political theology so I'm gonna back up just a little bit and say that that the roots of politics are not partisan democratic culture wars politics have to do with public faith and that is if we're going to have a faith that is more than private yes we want a personal faith but do we really want a private faith That has nothing to say about justice. Well, actually, that's not a bad idea. We might want to fast from that for a while just because we've watched it so badly. On the other hand, our attempts at a secularized or should we say a a privatized faith that are values free. That hasn't worked really well either. So on the one hand, you get religious politics that has been so violent historically and yet, on the other hand, when we've tried to expunge our public, our faith from, from a public voice, what ends up happening is well, how about Stalin? How about Hitler? How about Pol Pot? I mean, the 20th century saw more secularized violence than all the religious wars in history put together. So simply walking away from a public faith that has a word to say about justice. um, From a a practical point of view, it it completely didn't work. But then we ride the pendulum back and and, and we see um, the church in various forms trying to co-opt the political process in order to get power. Yuck. And so that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. What I'm talking about is this. If rather than trying to take over the state, rather than trying to suck up to the state, rather than getting in bed with partisan politics, I wonder if we could root our faith in in um, in the Hebrew prophetic tradition that cared about justice and spoke as a prophet to the to the political powers, and so. Um, I'm not saying become a political power. I'm saying that a good political theology will renounce being a chaplain to the empire and will be a prophetic voice challenging it like Micah did, like Amos did. Hmm. And in subtle ways, or maybe not so subtle like the early Christians did when they would say things like Jesus is Lord, when that was on on the emperor's coinage when they would say that jesus is the lord and savior of the world that was a direct challenge to things that that people like um, uh, the well the emperor of rome for one where caesar augustus for example was claiming that yeah and so when the when the church would say those kind of things they're not just talking christology then They're doing political theology around allegiance. And so Christ wants our allegiance and he wants the values of um, sort of that, that prophetic tradition to be part of our discourse as we push back against what, let's say, left and right wing tribalism is demanding you sign up for with their script mm-hmm. and so it becomes truly prophetic rather than a chaplain who shows up before each war and prays with the president yeah that's what i'm talking yeah.
1: about so you said we should possibly take a fast from that and so do you mean a fast from public faith a fast from private faith or a fast for a time from justice like when you said that which one of those things were you saying fast from
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I would say taking a fast from the political partisan alignments Mm. as our way of doing public justice, that's just completely missing the point. So I don't want to be, I don't want to say no to public faith, but I suppose when I said maybe we need a fast, actually that might be, it might be that. We need to do some detox before we do some rehab,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know? So, because it just seems almost impossible that we could speak out on this without sounding partisan, without right. sounding like we've been co-opted by the left or the right or that we're trying to do so. And yet, what well, I mean, we've got to say something about Matthew, what Matthew 25 says about immigrants and refugees mm-hmm. and prisoners and, and compassion to the marginalized. So I don't want to abandon that either. It's just so horrendous that when we try to do it, we do it so badly.
1: <laughs> so I find this last year, so I don't know, this will sound weird, but it was, so the offshoot of doing this podcast is somehow or another, I have been given a small voice Yep. and each week as the podcast grows, that voice gets bigger. And so I find myself muzzling. No, that's not the right adjective. I find myself really intentionally choosing why I comment or say anything on anything, and okay. so when I do comment, I try to just echo what Jesus said about things. And depending on the topic, I'm either called a liberal, um, and I'm going to use that word in the real sense of liberal, like change everything, liberal, or yeah. or I'm also called. Why are you so like you're so far over this way over here, but on this side on this issue you're so far right, and so how. Using a good praxis of political theology, how does one listening that wants to use a voice to talk about justice? And um, I mean, shoot, just today, there's a news article where the my president. Luckily, you're you're in Canada, correct? yep yes that's So, not your president. my president argued in court that cho- my mi- migrant children that are being detained don't need soap and toothbrushes and toothpaste like they just don't really need those. um I don't even know why that is a concern that matters, but like I read that and I'm like, mm, I should say something on this, but I don't know how to do so well, and I don't know how to do so and represent what I want to represent well and so what are like like I don't know how to both do speak out and detox. At the same time, if that makes yeah. sense, but I'm afraid oh. that I'm afraid that nothing will get said if I can't decide how to do either.
0: Yeah, and silence is complicity of its own sort, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. um, and so I suppose I suppose I have two things to say about that. One is follow Jesus, even if other parties use what you say in Jesus' name to slot you into their left-right conservative liberal spectrum, Mm. and then resist that slotting at the same time. So let's say on the topic of refugees, Christ makes that a criteria for the final judgment. So this is not an application of the gospel. It's not marginal to the gospel. It's a criteria for the final judgment mm-hmm. in Matthew 25. So, so speak on that. And when you do, you will be called a progressive or a liberal or left-wing. And then that then opens the gate to say, no, uh, that, that kind of spectrum language, the spectrum itself, the whole spectrum, is the world system that hates Christ, the Mm -hmm. whole thing. Because intrinsic to the spectrum is othering and exclusion, and on the far ends, even silencing. And so everybody, you're going to find yourself with strange allies on the left, on the right, in any given situation, but it's not because you're on the left or on the right. It's because they've accidentally hit on something Jesus said at some mm. point. But if you check their script, the script is absolutely not something you're going to be able to sign up for. So I, I have a friend right now who I, I'd call her a, a, a budding friend maybe through, through my mentor, Rondart, who was like alt-right. And then she just got crucified by her own people. Hmm. And so I'm watching now my men, my mentor take her under his wing and 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 say you've got to repent not of being on the right and moving left. You need to repent of spectrum ideology itself. That's the world. And so when I talk about political theology, that's my platform. That spectrum ideology is what the Bible calls faction factions, factionalism. Mm-hmm. And it's liberal versus conservative, right versus left, us versus them, either versus or, and so on. And I'm saying, if you follow Jesus, it can look like he's taking you right or left, if that's the worldview you're trapped in, but it's a matrix. Mm. And you've got to transcend the matrix by following Christ. And that means befriending people, love of enemies until they're not your enemies, um, until they are your neighbors, until they are your brothers and sisters. And in that way, we understand that the best of political theology is opposition to polarization. It's about hold having the maturity to hold difference in tension mm-hmm. with the other. And, it, and what we've done, when Christians try to engage in it, we've tried to make it about sameness. And, and forcing people into our script and even making them obey our script by trying to take over the Senate, for example, or the <laughs> Supreme Court or whatever. And I'm just like, oh man, that is, that is so worldly. That is so imperial. That is so not public faith. That's just the Christian Taliban yeah. left or right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. I'll add one thing to that. Sorry to ramble on, but in terms of, what I've noticed about the Christian right is as ugly as they can be, intrinsic to their theology, is fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that can make them angry and violent. But what I've also noticed is on the fundamentalist left, they don't have that fear, and so they're free to be more cruel. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, Um so there, everybody will be mad at me now. But I'm just saying that's the matrix and get out of the matrix.
1: Yeah. No, so I agree with that. So uh, I don't know, maybe four or five days ago, I was mowing the grass. And I stopped, turned the lawnmower off, have the AirPods in so I can talk to my phone. And I, I, I've I been trying to get thoughts out as they come to me. I don't know why they're there. Maybe I'll write about it. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they'll go nowhere. Um, but I basically said something similar to that of, um, I live in a con- what did I say to myself? I'd have to listen to it, but something to the effect of, "I'm in a constant state of fear," and right when I feel like I've moved past fear, um, something breaks and it gives me reason to fear again, and so I find myself constantly falling back to, you know, if the dominoes are coming down, and right when I get where I need to be, which is probably the most uncomfortable spot to be, I find I often revert back to a tribal, a tribalistic form of mentality because it's it's easier and there's a community there. And I think so often when you're using a voice prophetically, I guess, there's no one else there with you.
0: Yeah, and um I think part of us really needs that that sense of belonging. And um I'm just saying that if you buy into tribalism to get your belonging, watch your back mm. because that's going to that when you go off script, that's the problem. And so So this person on the on the alt right, she went off script. And it was her own people that stabbed her in the back.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: Um, there's this there's this song. I'm not a big Tim Minchin's fan. Tim Minchin is is, uh, he's a I think he's probably like a British pianist who does very cynical kind of performances, but he's like talented. But he's got this song called 15 Minutes. And he's just noted this very, this very um, phenomenon where he he talks about in the fu- he's talking about in the future as if he's talking to um, oh Andy Warhol who had thought about what's the future going to be like and he's like well tell Andy Warhol this in the future everyone will have fifteen minutes of shame <laughs> see he said we'll have fifteen minutes of fame and the song fifteen minutes of shame where they become unfair unforgivable. And so he's kind of mocking this. He's saying, look, yeah, go ahead. Pick up your pitchfork and your torch. Join the lynching. We'll go hunt the monster down. But then he says, but keep an eye out for the uneven ground. We'll turn on you if you stumble. Mm. And he says um, that part of the era that we're in now, it's really uh, where we've weaponized humiliation. And he's talking about how people of your own tribe will will stab you in the back and they'll do it in a public way let's say like a twitter lynching and i've just seen this with my own friends and saying i'm like wow this is
2: brutal mm-hmm.
0: so okay so we don't want that oh i i see your problem seth you were hoping to do this and you thought it would solve your rejection issues. Me? no, no. <laughs> ask ask <laughs> ask jesus about that one right so um Following Jesus will run you into problem with your own crowd at some point because you'll go off script. But but the good news is this. There, there's like people you respect who love you, who when the crowd turns on you, you can say, yeah, but you're the crowd. You're the herd. But I know Brad loves me. Hmm. And I don't even need to agree with Brad and he loves me. And so like, who are you? You're just a herd. And if you have a little posse of people that you respect and who love you, that goes a long way when when it hits the fan.
1: I don't know enough about history outside of my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. How did the early church do this well. And I don't necessarily mean like right there at, you know, at the at the early, early church with Augustus Caesar, because people talk about that. That's pretty much all they'll preach on uh, coming soon, you know, as we finish up the Pentecostal season, as we roll in to Christmas, because we really only go Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, over and over and over again. So, yep. you know, those first, you know, over the first, say, 1,000 years, 2,000 years of the church, like, how did they practice this well? Or what did they do you know to to model this in a way that well I mean you and I are both christians so obviously they did something well but what did they do you know is they're being bounced around exiled from place to place to place to place
0: okay yeah and so in terms of public theology what that would have looked like in the first few centuries was well one persecution by the empire but also, in the second century, the apologists were writing letters to the emperor saying, this persecution is ridiculous because look what we're doing. Uh, wherever we go, we're caring for the poor. We're making your, your society, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, we, uh, we're actually serving your goals in terms of peacemaking and peace building and sometimes emperors would buy that and often they wouldn't and uh, but that so in in other words when the empire was their enemy christians practiced public faith so there's political they practiced public faith that looked like Matthew 25 caring mm-hmm. for the poor the marginalized widow in fact some of paul's paul's cousin and philip's daughters were practiced their public faith, even before he became a Christian, we call them the unmercenary physicians, because they were in Tarsus, they were well-to-do, and they had healing springs there, like spas, and they bought them, because only the rich could use these, and they bought them, and and they welcomed prostitutes, and and the sick, and, Hmm. and disabled, to come to their spas, and they were even treating the prostitutes for sexually transmitted diseases, and they were doing it for free. That's why they're called unmercenary. Hmm. It, was for, it was free healthcare, um, and so the, so those kind of things happened in the first few centuries. And then there's this, just this. It's kind of a partial truth, and it's a partial myth that when Christianity was in was endorsed by the empire when Constantine came to power, some treat that as the real fall of the church. And okay, maybe in some ways. Um, it became dangerous because then the Emperor Constantine would go out and attack other peoples in Jesus' name. That's mm-hmm. not what you do. I notice we still do it. Mm-hmm. It's not what you do. um but it's also too simplistic because at times then the church pushed back at the Emperor and said and and was let's say John Chrysostom was able able to confront the empress of Constantinople confront her corruptions from the pulpit as she's sitting in front of them. So there is a guy who, who's saying we're grateful for freedom of religion and we will speak truth to power, even it's when it's right in front of us. And he ends up going, he gets banished two times and he's willing to do that. It's like, fine. And so you'll hear people talk about the fall of the church when Constantine became emperor. And I'm like, that's, that's partly true if, if, if we get in bed with their military mm-hmm. kind of industrial complex. But on the other hand, Athanasius went into exile five times for 15 years. So clearly they weren't only giving in. They were speaking as prophets to the state like Nathan was to David, even at the risk of their lives. And, and many were martyred over that, even once Christianity was, was the official state religion, if they were honest
1: as i was researching for this is i'll see, i'll see the church speak out about something you know at least here in america and to be honest that's where my tertiary research was so you know the church or pastors will will see something a few of them will re, will speak out about it and then 50 years later something will change and then there is a lull is there a way to practice public faith or public theology that constantly calls people to do better to love better to take care of one another better without the cyclical nature? Or is that just inevitable?
0: Yeah, it probably goes in and out like the tides, but we could have some principles that would mitigate that. So one principle would be this, do not try to legislate your moralism by taking charge of the Senate. You know, like that's not, if you could just make that commitment that this idea of legislating our moralism is so completely anti-gospel. That is not what God has done. He hasn't made us obey him in any way. And so um, rather uh, through Christ, we hear the call to peace building. What does peace building mean? Well, on the one hand, it means like let's, let's oppose that which causes harm. Sure. That like, that's true for sure. But I think there's even a layer under that. in ter- And this is why I call it peace building. We're not peacemaking in the sense of you don't make somebody do anything. And, It's not just pacifism as in like in a passive sense, but rather you look at what are the underlying causes that create the desperation that bring about unjust behaviors. And so this can, a good example of this is when, when the twin towers fell, you had some fundamentalists actually just saying, well, this is God sending these jets like his own missiles Mm -hmm. Because he wanted to punish America for uh, gay marriage and abortion or something like that, right? Well, I mean, that's really crass. But also, um, there were those who said, how dare you ask why they did it? It's just evil. They are evil. They hate our freedom. That's not peace building. Peace building is asking, what on earth creates the desperation that would cause somebody to do a suicide bombing of any kind. Mm -hmm. And and there was a real attack on peace builders. And I noticed this from the Beatitudes, that there's the Beatitude that says, um, blessed are the peacemakers, theirs is, they will be called the children of God. And then the next Beatitude says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness or justice. Same word in Greek. Mm. And in other words, when you're a peace builder, who begins to poke those buttons, um, you will you will face severe retaliation. Martin Luther King Jr., for example, mm-hmm. he didn't die because of the civil rights movement. The, pre, the that was way before he was doing civil rights preaching in '63, '64, and stuff. The day before he was murdered, um, he was preaching against the Vietnam War and the American military complex that was you know like so he's he's going after like what are we doing here in the world as an empire and although it never went to a criminal court in civil court the CIA was indicted hmm. as and it's like okay hang on a second i don't know what we can prove but i do know that in the american court system at the civil level they indicted your secret service with murdering somebody who had been preaching against the Vietnam war the day before. Okay. Hey, wow. <laughs> now we're back into the Hebrew prophetic tradition. yeah, like, And, and all of that could be like speculation. Well, what I just said were facts. I don't know that they actually did it. Right. But I, I'm just saying those are, that's the data we have. Now, why did I tell you that? It's <laughs> it's just because we're we, peace builders who question um, why things happen tend to, tend not to be seen in a good light. And unfortunately, the most vocal Christian um, spokespeople for for faith right now are, are, as far as I can tell, are just buying into the gover- the, the party or the government's uh, foreign and domestic policies. And it's like, wow, did we ever lose the plot?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I was having an argument with someone earlier today, and he he asked me, he's like, "Well, what would we do with um, AI, AI pack, AI pack, um, which is American Israel? I can't remember all of the thing." And I was like, "Well, I I don't know, because he was talking about Iran and everything else. He's like, how do, you know, how do we not go to war?" I was like, "Well, hope that we don't." And I was like, "But it's it's ridiculous that we would want to force them to demilitarize when we refuse to." And he's like, but we have to protect ourselves. I was like, but we're we're we're, <laughs> we're adults here. Like you can't yeah. say do this and then refuse to also do that. And he's like, but Israel's our ally. I'm like, okay. They also have their own nuclear weapons that we gave them. So I don't, what what are we worried about here? Yeah. You know. And he just, you know, he has got so angry. How do we, I am curious about this though. So, um, very quickly, I don't know how the demographics are in Canada, but very quickly, uh, Christians will not necessarily be the majority—at least, not I would say practicing Christians. I don't mean Christians on paper, yeah, or or church and Easter only Christians. You know, those nice CEO Christians, like actually practicing, participating Christians. So we will have to figure out a way to do this interfaiths, and so. I'm curious your thoughts on that, like very, very, very quickly, you know, and and by the time my son has graduated from high school, the political, cultural and religious landscapes will will be vastly different than what they are now. And so how do we either prepare for that or just proactively engage in it in a way that respects both traditions, regardless of the tradition?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, because our answers to that have been unbelievably short sighted like as if the, as if there won't be a shift at some point and we'll prevent that shift you know <laughs> through anti-immigration laws or something crazy like that sure cuz
1: that's always worked in the past mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> sure and i and i'm not and, and i i know my so my critics will go oh you're just saying open the borders no i'm not i'm not saying that i'm just saying the way things are going your grandchildren are facing something that you better hope you better hope people treat your grandchildren kindly Mm -hmm. When they're the minority, how do you best do that? By clamping down on people now? Mm. Or by treating them so kindly that they remember and that their grandchildren show gratitude, right? So um, uh, let's take uh, Christianity and Islam, for example. There are, of course, toxic versions of Islam, just as there are toxic and violent forms of Christianity. Um, It seems to me, and this will come back sort of to to transcending spectrum ideology, um, it seems to me that we have really good allies who are peacemaking Muslims. And if we can befriend those peacemaking Muslims, I see two stages to really taking that next level. One is, first of all, we find the common ground. Most Muslims in the world, in fact, nearly all of them, their hopes and dreams are for a peaceful society where they're not being bombed or wasting their money on missiles. They want to have good hospitals and good uh, schools for their children. They want to see their children grow up and flourish just like us. So that's good common ground. In fact, we have more common ground than we do with, let's say the secular Israeli state, for example, which is like, it's not even, that's, it's the secular state. And, and yet, and and even um, among our Jewish brothers and sisters, we've got real peacemakers that we can work with who are opposing the oppression of Palestinian people, for example. They're not self-hating Jews. They are Jews who have paid attention to their own prophets, and mm-hmm. so should we. Okay, so having said all of that, so the first thing is we can look for some of those common grounds. Um, by the way, any God-fearing, Quran-keeping Muslim is a follower of Jesus, they absolutely believe that Jesus is alive. He's not just a good teacher. He's the Messiah. He's coming again. He'll overcome the Antichrist and establish God's kingdom on earth. That's Muslim theology. Hmm. And for those who push back at that, it's like, go learn from them and and ask them, you know, tell me about Jesus. And if their imam is not teaching that, he's gone off track. From And so how do I know this? Because I'm friends with imams. I'm I'm friends with with uh, uh, Safi Kaskis, who's a, a translator of the Quran. And he's like, of course, every good Muslim would be a Jesus follower. So I'm like, okay, we've got some common ground. And then I would go next stage and say, what if we took the relationship a level higher to where we acknowledge our differences, like I mean core differences, where Safi cannot believe Jesus is divine, and I must believe he is. How shall we then live? Mm-hmm. Well, shall we bomb each other? No. <laughs> we will We will honor difference. We will have the maturity to hold difference and to love one another, even with a covenant love, uh, since the God of Abraham um, conferred covenants on both Isaac and Ishmael. And to say, you know, you see this God very differently than I, and you must if you're a true Muslim. Hmm. And yet, we intend to worship the God of Abraham and the the God of Abraham has a commission that we're to fulfill. And that is that every family in the earth would be blessed. Yeah, Could we do that even while we disagree on some core theologies like our Christology and Safi says, yes. And I say, yes. So that's working for us and it'll probably happen from ground up, but you're also going to get the nut jobs and, (laughs) yeah and, and across the, but that's down on that's down on the spectrum and we don't live there
1: how then so the next biggest segment that everyone will engage with will be those that that hold you know that there is either no god or that if there is one i don't really care you know atheists or agnostics and so um while we can find common ground that, you know that we're both humans how would you do that when you don't have a similar christology yeah because there's I no mean, religion to fall back on all you have is Politics, or maybe shared community, or maybe our kids play in the same baseball team, or you know something like that. Like the 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 circle of overlap. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I feel like it would be smaller though.
0: Um, yeah. In some ways, theologically, it would be, but in terms of Christ-like value systems, maybe not. And here's what I mean. I know some desperately unChrist-like Christians <laughs> who are anti-humanist. They believe that people are fundamentally um, corrupt and depraved and um, and they really dehumanize anybody who's not in Christ in their mind so that and in fact I've been told you know we need to think of them as zombies they're dead in hmm. spiritually and all that. I'm like oh my goodness I don't know what that is but it's not it's not Christianity and yet it's pretty dominant out there at least in circles we've rub shoulders with right Mm -hmm. on the other hand we've got the father of uh, the father of humanism was erasmus the great church reformer who chose not to break ties with rome he was and, and so and he's called the father of humanism but what he's doing is he's riffing off the eastern greek fathers who said no at your core every human on this planet continues to bear the image of God even if it's been tarnished and our role is to see that diamond beneath the tarnish and to proclaim its goodness and to introduce a um, a, a good news message that actually cleanses that tarnish well I, I know lots of atheists who um, who see the dignity of every human being and they would call themselves secular humanists so, who do I have more in common with the secular humanist or the Christian dehumanist?
2: Hmm.
0: (laughs) And, um, and so, yeah, again, with them, I, I, I'm like, okay, we're going to have core differences, but could we agree on some key things that I believe are actually Christian values, the dignity of every human being the diamond that is each person. And so today I was at a harm reduction seminar and, um, My friend Ward Draper from Five and Two Ministries was a speaker. So this is in a public college, very secularized society. And he was able to say, you may see it differently than I, because I see Christ in everybody. You might call it something else, but could we agree on the dignity of human, every human we meet? And everybody's like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, it was unbelievable and a beautiful common ground but also, he didn't have to shrink back on his core belief system, and yeah. they didn't expect them to. Yeah. So that was pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I like that. I don't know much about Canada. Do y'all do public theology better on that side of the, whatever that latitude line is, 50, 52, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, Um, than we do? And if so, what can we learn from that?
0: I, I don't know that we do. We have different problems. I would say ours are... In some ways, more subtle. Um, uh, what we observe from up here, as we look south, is uh, we're shocked and we're kind of smug, <laughs> and uh, and we say we we have our own uh, quieter, more uh, passive-aggressive issues. And so, I would say it like this: in Canada, um, you might learn from us in terms of of the honor that we are trying to restore to our First Nations or Aboriginal peoples and really learning from them about things to do with justice, like restorative justice. Mm-hmm. That's something that, that I think we've seen good fruit from that you might actually be able to bear as well. Um, I will say this, though. Uh, whereas in, free, in in America, your highest moral value is freedom, even if it means killing someone. So that's, I see that as deeply problematic, but our highest moral value is tolerance. Hmm. And now here's the, here's the ugly part about that. When you make freedom, your highest moral value, you will kill anybody who tries to interrupt your freedom. But when you make tolerance, your highest moral value, you will demonize anyone who makes a truth claim. Hmm. And so tolerance (laughs) becomes very, very, very intolerant and so um, which is mostly okay in Canada because because we're so we're so far beyond you in terms of secularization Mm -hmm. we don't have a powerful Christian lobby and that's really helped us (laughs) but on the other hand it means that um, Christians can feel defensive and then they uh, they start lashing out or they can be silenced in ways they shouldn't be and so Here's the interesting thing. I, I I'm not a pluralist, but we can use pluralism is sort of like all paths are valid. Well, mm. I don't think that. I think all paths are actually fulfilled best in Christ. And my tolerance, my tolerant secularist friends hate that. But pluralism—that's um, how we do battle. We say, "Hey, wait a minute! I thought we're pluralists. That means Christians get a voice mm. and." And actually, if we have lots of voices and we're one of them, um, we think we'll do pretty good because we have the best news on the block. Mm. And so my mentor, Ron Dart, who taught me political theology, he serves, in a, he serves in a public university. And so his battle is with secularism where he says, what do you mean we can't have a Christian chair and a Sikh chair and a Buddhist chair in a university? I thought we were tolerant. You know, <laughs> and so he is a, like a genius at this. And I'm seeing people's faith restored as they enter his pluralist classes. And he's got Muslims and Buddhists showing up for his Muslim and Buddhist classes and saying he's honoring their tradition. Yeah. And then that gives them space to make a case for his tradition. And kids who've lost their way, especially ex-church kids, are kind of finding their way back.
1: Nice. Very yeah,
0: nice. it's so good. So um, that's a real going concern in Canada where it's like we, we're battling secularism, using pluralism to give Christianity a voice. And we may lose that one, but we're working at it. Yeah. And it's a lot. I think it's more subtle. You, you can see how it's more subtle than just trying to take over the Supreme Court with conservative right wing Christian <laughs> politics.
1: <laughs> yeah. So earlier you talked about prophetic voices and yep. so, I'd like to give people some resources as as um as we wrap up. I want to give you back to your family. So, what are you know maybe two, three, four, whatever um, voices that people can engage in that that are maybe coming at us from a different angle? I don't even care if they're American or Canadian or British or Australian or I, I don't care where they're from. What are some of those current active voices that are doing work that uh, you find impactful or prophetic um, that maybe we won't necessarily realize until. Well, it's too late.
0: Uh, I can give you specific examples. I want to start by online education. We, are, I'm part of an online school called IRPJ, and it stands for the Institute for Religion, Peace, and Justice, IRPJ.org. And um, what we're doing is we have Canadians, Americans, um, and also guest lecturers from the UK and from across the sea, sea in Asia, um, we, uh, from Australia, from India, uh, and we are talking about Christian theol, a Christian theology of peace, specifically that peace building that I was talking about, mm-hmm. where you're looking to to undergird things. Um, and so, Dr. Andrew Klager is the director of that. I'm a core lecturer for it, but we've also got Got um, a whole variety of wonderful guest lecturers. I'll just name one of them is is a grandson of Gandhi, hmm. and so students could join a cohort with us, and you're going to get like online access, even some FaceTime in as a cohort with with guys like him. Um, so irpj.org is is a place where you get education. In terms of voices that I'm listening to right now, I think um, you've got Stanley Howaross. H uh, a u e r w a s Stanley Hauerwas. He's he's really good, um, and also Walter Brueggemann. Mm-hmm. These are senior statesmen in the Body of Christ who know how to use the Scriptures. Um, as that Nathan kind of prophet that holds the empire's feet to the, the fire. And they're just, they're eloquent. And we're talking like seventies and eighties now that they, these are guys are seasoned and they know their scriptures and they know pu- public faith and they're really good at it. Uh, on the younger front, we've got um, Brian Zahn, Z-A-H-N-D. And, and so he preaches, he's the pastor of Word of Life Church and, um, and, and he's written a bunch of books um, that are about public faith as well. And so he's really pushing back in terms of mil- against militarism and nationalism and patriotism, w- w- which becomes an ideology. And he's, he's actually saying that much of what passes for active Christ- American Christianity is really just civil religion with a thin veneer of Jesus talk on it. And so. He's written books like Farewell to Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a good one by him on that topic. And um, in terms of activism, I also, I, I I follow Shane Claiborne on Twitter and he's really saying, look at if Christianity claims to be pro-life, what's with, what is with this Christian promotion of the death penalty? And mm-hmm. I mean Christian promotion. And so um, he's good, uh, Shane Claiborne. And then, Uh, There's a Yale scholar named Miroslav Volf, V-O-L-F, and he wrote an amazing book called Exclusion and Embrace. And he's a, he's a real voice for politic, a political theology of, of, Uh, peace building and forgiveness and so on he he's magnificent so that's some people i'm paying attention to right now
1: well i i know some of those voices quite a few of them i don't and so you see me keep you probably see me keep darting over i'm I'm taking notes on that um because i'm always looking forward to i find and i don't know maybe you agree uh as i read and i read a lot for this but also um just a lot and I like the bibliography almost as much as I like the books anymore. Like I'll see somebody say something like, oh, that's number two. And then I'll just stop, pause, go buy the book. And then I yep. get stuck in that book. So I, I find that I'm not finishing books. Um, I just keep going from one bibliography to the next. So um, which leads me to this. So I know that you have a new book coming out later uh, this year. And so I'd like, if you want, what is that about? Um, why should people get it? And then how do they get in touch with you as they're listening to this? And i are like, you know, I, I kind of like what you're saying, Brad, I have more questions or, you okay. know, how do they wrap all that up for me? Sure.
0: So the book I have coming out, well, one of them, i I hope to have two books out this fall. One mm. is called a more Christlike way. And it is a follow up to a previous book I wrote called a more Christlike God. And in the first book, we're talking about how, uh, Christ shows us the very nature of God as self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. And we see the image of God in clearest focus on the cross, where God is love and he's not retributive. He's all about restoration and redemption, and that's where this world is heading. But uh, a more Christ-like way then says, what does this look like in practice? And Mm -hmm. we're not looking at Christian examples for that. We're looking at Jesus' humanity in his teachings, Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of here's the way of cruciform, that means cross-shaped love, what is a way of living look like that involves self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love, and so in that book, I'm going to do like, I have, I critique four counterfeit ways, I critique um, moralism, I critique partisan amoralism, I critique this, this spectrum factionalism that Mm -hmm. we talked about, and I and I critique sort of nationalism and civil religion. And then I go into seven facets of the Jesus way. that the, the, the radical, meaning roots, going back to the roots. What are the radicals of his way? And it's, that involves forgiveness. It involves inclusion. It involves surrender and so on. So that's where that book is going. The other book you might find interesting is called In, I-N. And I'm still working on the subtitle, but the idea is that We've got these two ditches in one ditch. We've got the unique, we want to, we want to uphold the uniqueness of Jesus, but that can go into a ditch of exclusivism where we're God's little club and everyone is out, you know? Um, and we also want to talk about God's all inclusive love, but that can go in the ditch of pluralism where it's like, ah, everything counts, who cares anyway? And what I want to do in, in this book in is to say, we need to hold these two truths together the unique revelation of God's all-inclusive love. And I use as a starting point the story of Cornelius, who before he's a Christian, mm-hmm. God already calls him clean mm-hmm. and righteous and accepted. Yeah. So there's the inclusion. But then Peter doesn't say, oh, then he doesn't need Jesus. He goes, oh, you're right to hear about Jesus. And then he, he shares this unique truth claim of Jesus that leads to this profound experience of the Holy Spirit uh, and such that Cornelius comes to know God in a way he didn't before. So um, I think that story holds together the uniqueness of Jesus and the inclusiveness of God. And so that's what that book is about.
1: Two at the same time, though. That seems to be a bit... Well, it had that's... to do with word count and content.
0: The, <laughs> a more Christ-like way used to ha- be longer. Mm. <laughs> and so I took... I extracted elements of that on the inclusion issue. That makes sense. And made it, and made it its own book. Network. <laughs> that That's what's going on there. I was like, yeah, I was like
1: I can't hardly read two books at one time and you're writing two at the same time. So, well good. It's as
0: bad as it sounds. You're <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, as always, I, I I love your voice. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate the work that you're doing and uh, I just on, on air, I'll ask you, I'd love to have you back on to talk about either of those other two topics, specifically in, but that, that something in that piques my interest. When, when are those out? When are both those out?
0: A more Christlike way is out September. Mm-hmm. And in, I'm not sure, but it'll be this year. Sure. Yeah. And so you can visit me at bradjersack.com, or you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, but if you have an actual question, I don't want it to fall between the cracks. Mm-hmm. And so your listeners are free to email me at bradjurisak at gmail.com. That's the best way to get hold of me where I won't just lose your message.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for your time tonight. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'll be back. <laughs> Sounds good. Even in you. That you gone before and made for me the way I am really struggling with a lot of that. So some of the things that Brad says is really impact me. Really, really, really impact me. And I know personally, you know, I had the conversation and then I edited it. I listened to it again since then. And then I'm probably going to have to listen to it a few more times after release. So, so much in here. I hope that something that Brad said you can take home. Specifically, the way that you make space for one another, and the way how that forces us to allow voices from the minority positions and the majority positions to have equal, equal say in conversations. I think that's important. I think so often we forget how to do that well. I think you know a lot. That's a lot of what I talked about a bit with Jared, and, and a lot about what I've been dealing with lately. Uh, I think it's because you know the political climate is engaging this time of year, and. There's just so much that goes on with all that, at least here in America. So let me know what you thought of the show. Shoot me an email, hit me on Twitter, whatever works for you. I'm uh, really curious. Thank you so much to the band Wimberly. It's, you'll find links to their music that was used today in the show notes, but they've had an album that came out recently that I'm really enjoying. You will find links to them and how they get in touch with them as well as Brad and all the other information uh, for the show notes, and you'll find that music in the Spotify Playlist for Can I Say This at Church? appreciate every single one of you. I will talk to you next week. Be well and blessings to you all. Even in my trials,
0: Jesus rose to life to crush my enemies. Oh, remember. Even in my trials,
1: I will remember. I'll keep my eyes on, die on my face to the
0: hill This world forsakes me, betrays me, but you never